You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry, once again. And for this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with my guest, Heidi Webb, who is the internationally recognized fundraising consultant. I'll be right back. Good evening, Heidi. Welcome to 247 Real Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I know it was short notice, and uh, it's uh, it's 10 after 10, Wednesday, November 10th. It's a little late for you, as you said, but I thank you so much for joining me on the show. Ah, you call me out right at the beginning. <laughs> I'm an early bird. Yeah. But yes, I'm very happy to be here. Very happy to be here. I love your podcast and any chance I get to talk about 501 C3s. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to uh, start the conversation off by just giving a little bit of uh, background as to um, sort of why I think you're such a great guest for this audience. And from my personal experience, as we were chatting a little bit before we started this episode, um, in the last, I don't know, 18 months, you know, 20 months, whatever the case may be, you know, let's just say during the period of COVID, and while this podcast has been uh, been able to focus on this podcast more, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people who have encountered many different life-changing experiences. And out of that, many of them have approached me or had conversations with me regarding um, something that they want to do to help. And it's fundraising. It's uh, you know creating a, a non-for-profit charity, a 501c3. Um, and this is, this is a conversation that, um, I think people have it even prior to, as I mentioned to you, I have my own 501c3 and I understand the challenges of it. And that's where you come in. So start us off by telling us your background in this and, you know, how, 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 what led up to you becoming such an expert in this? Okay. Thank you. Well, the story is interesting also be interesting to your listeners, but listen, I, you know, very self-made human, um, you know, went through college, really the first in my family to graduate, and so didn't really, you know, I'm a very driven human, but did not know what I wanted to do, and so, you know, went out into the business world and said, here I am, hire me, and this was, you know, in the mid-90s, and you know, my first job was working in the computer industry, and if if you are anywhere near my age, or you would know that you know, that was there was a computer company on every street corner. It was really booming technology, so it's exciting in that way. So I knew early on, I liked learning, I liked change, I liked new, and so I excelled. I did really well. I worked, you know, countless hours. I helped organizations get there. 8A minority status with the SBA, uh, wrote a, a lot of grants. Now, these at the time were, you know, for-profit grants. I did this for four years, and I found myself at a very young age not feel, feeling fulfilled and not being able to label it. And so I went to my boss and said, I'm unhappy. I am too young to be this unhappy. I'm just, I feel pointless. I get up in the middle of the day, and I just 
you know, I'm, I'm making great money and I'm working hard, but that's it. You know, I don't, is this it? Is this life? Is this as good as it gets? And he said, sounds like you need a break. So we had a pro bono client, a mental health organization that had a job opening. And he said, why don't you go explore? And so I did. I, I met with the executive director of that nonprofit. This was 22 years ago now. And, uh, and, and, Applied. It was a great five-hour interview. We got along beautifully. But he hired me to be his human resources director. And you know, he looked at this person, this young, eager person who was, you know, outgoing, a people person, that sort of thing, and said, okay, you'll do fine. Well, I didn't. I'm not a, a paper pusher. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably the worst human resources director on the planet. I just was more interested in, you know, getting out and networking and things to that effect. So I took the job. I'll speed up here, but no, you know, take I, your time. I did the job. It's, it's important I that we did the job yeah. for. Uh, well, it's 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 about to come full circle here in a second. I promise you that. So I took the job and I started doing my job not so well. Um, I, I would argue not so well, but I I obviously they they kept me. I must have not have not have done as bad a job as I thought and. I started doing fundraising for them. They were switching from a grant system to a fee-for-service system, and they weren't prepared. And even though this was my first nonprofit job, I knew intuitively that they needed to raise funds. And so I just started doing it in my quote-unquote spare time. I wrote grants. I went networking, um, participated in you know early onset crowdfunding, and I was raising the money. And so one day I went into this same boss that I had that five-hour interview with, and I said, listen, I need new business cards, and they're going to look a little different. I'd like you to approve them. And I hand him this form, this little sheet of paper, and in it, you know, you have to fill out how you want your name and your phone number and your title to be presented on the, on the business cards, just a, just a minutia form within the office. And on it, however, instead of saying director of human resources, I put director of development, which is... Um, you know, a well-known title in the in the fundraising space, and he looked at it and said, "You know, in, in 30 years I've been in in nonprofit, no one's ever asked me for a job this way before, but you're hired." And so, within a month or two, I transitioned from human resources to fundraising, and you know, really just took off from there. You know, I, I soared in this space. Um, you know, and, and at the time, it was, this was a mental health nonprofit, so helping adults with uh, major mental illness. And so I thought, gosh, if I can help a population so stigmatized, I'm sure there are other causes I can really, you know, really sink my teeth into. And so from there, you know, I worked in foster care, homelessness, domestic violence, a number of really wonderful causes. I went on to get certified as an international fundraising executive, a CFRE, I did all the things that, that one would do to um, constantly be at, at the helm of new things coming our way in, in the industry and the space. And about four years ago, I was coming home from a, a trip from Ireland, and um, I just felt change coming. And similar to that time that I walked into that office, you know, um, and had that five-hour interview, I went to my Rotary Club meeting. If you're familiar with Rotary, but um, I was president of the club, and even though my plane landed, you know, at three in the morning, I got up and 
and hurried off to the club meeting and and from there met someone who was looking for an international fundraiser for their project in Kenya and it was just a consulting job and I said this is the sign I was looking for and so instead of being W two, a director of development for some really great causes. And no complaints about my life in that sense. I always worked for amazing organizations, burn no bridges. Um, but it was time for me to sort of look at the second half of my professional life, you know, and, and, and do some things that I wanted to do and help some causes that, you know, would be great for me to experience as well as, you know, so it's like sort of a give and take. I look at consulting, which is a funny word to me. I just, I don't know why. It feels very, I don't know. I don't know. The word just doesn't really sit well with me, but, but, but that's what I am, I guess. That's the word they've, the label that they've put on people like me who help multiple organizations at once. But I'll tell you, you know what's really cool now? I work with organizations in rare disease. I work with organizations who are restoring hope in Liberia after two civil wars, Ebola and now COVID. I work with organizations that are teeny tiny in small communities managing food pantries. And so I really get to decide the types of organizations um, that I can, you know, pursue as a fundraiser, as an advisor, and even as an interim development director. I have always said, even though I'm a quote-unquote consultant, I need to always, always roll up my sleeves and get in with the work, be frontline, as I call it. I'm a frontline fundraiser. So as you can tell, (laughs) I love what I do. I love the industry. It has changed so much. You know, we've all heard our, our own battle cry in the space in terms of, you know, how COVID has created this big, gigantic pivot in 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 the nonprofit sector and other spaces as well, but that's my, you know, my lane. And um, in a way, uh, I've really, now I would take COVID and make it go away and not have this experience, of course, but here we are, right? And and we're living, you know, post, not post-pandemic, but post the onset of the pandemic. And uh, what it's really showed me and other people like yourself, people in the community, our neighbors and our friends, is that you know, we're a really charitable world. And, and you know, we're a really charitable country. You know, giving is up. It was up in 2020. It's going to be up again in 2021. They're predicting an additional increase of a little over 5%. People are philanthropic. People want to help. People want to give. And so there's a lot a lot of work going on, and we're not always aware of it all, but thankfully, because I do what I do for a living, I get to see it and see the best in people in terms of human compassion. It's a beautiful thing. Yes, I agree. And and, and so I want to take this through um, at different levels and, and you know, thinking back about some of the people who I've encountered that, that seem to struggle um, let's take one scenario of someone gets up one day, they look at all their experiences, they're reflecting and they say, you know, I want to do something. I want to make a difference. So they pick, they either pick a, a larger or smaller cause. You know, it, it may be uh, fundraising to help 
maybe let's say a certain type of illness or to help a certain sector of, of the population. And mm-hmm. so take walk us through the process because like I said, people the people I've spoken to, you know, they have the idea they 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 come up with things that are like uh some of these people have no seed money to do anything and so they go to like sell their idea in a place like GoFundMe and as you and I uh, discussed the first time we spoke it's it's I find it amazing that you can go to a place like GoFundMe and you can say you know I hurt my pinky finger and somebody will give you a thousand dollars you can go and say I want to feed the hungriest people in in North America and you can't raise a 200 bucks so walk us through both the you know the, the the someone in that scenario, what steps should they take, and what are the pitfalls, and what are you know what should they look for? Certainly, well, I've worked with a lot of startups. Uh, you know, I've worked with big and small, but you know, my heart is in that that um, capacity building phase. So, uh, here's what I can say first and foremost: is, is knowing where to start is, is difficult. It's not easy to navigate, nor is, you know, starting a, a business per se. Um, so I think that what I always like to say is, you know, like take a deep breath in and out and ask, what problem do I want to solve? You know, what need will, and if we're talking strictly starting a nonprofit, that's where I want to start with this conversation. And, and then, of course, you can interrupt and tell me to pivot. But, you know, if, if, your heart is telling you, I want to solve the problem of fill in the blank. And you've explored that no one else is filling in, is, is um, doing what you would like to do to solve the problem. Um, then, then I would say to you, let's do it. You know, put everything down in writing, what, you, what the problem is specifically, do it affects how you're going to fix it, and how you're going to sustain it. And then you just, there are steps that you take, and there are a lot of them. But just like you would start a business, there are things that you you have to do. So look, there's a lot of nonprofits in the world. There's, you know, I think uh, 10 million worldwide, and that includes those non-governmental organizations. And just here in the U.S., there's close to 2 million 501c3s. So there's a lot going on out there. I always say explore it first because you want to familiarize yourself with what's out there. What you don't want to have happen, and I have unfortunately witnessed this uh, more than once, um, a person has the right idea, um, lots of passion, and maybe even some money to back their idea, right? This charitable idea that they have, but they didn't do their homework. And there's an organization already doing what it is they want to do, maybe a little differently, but they're doing it. They're doing it successfully. And I, I, I hesitate to use examples only because, uh, you know, it probably would give away you know, who these organizations are. But the point of the matter is, if it's already being done, I would prefer that you consider reaching out to the founder or executive director of that said organization to say, love what you do. I've, I've, you know, been dreaming about doing what you do to help the community. I'd like to do it a little bit differently, and I'd like to get your thoughts. Most nonprofits, I would, I don't just want to say all, but I certainly can't say that, but most nonprofit leaders will sit down and meet with you 
and, and talk to you and share. Nonprofits are, you have to be open book, right? So when you're a C3, you'll, and I'm maybe getting ahead of myself, and I'll need to back up in a second here, but when you become a C3, everything's public knowledge. You have to file a 990, and that 990 goes on a website called .guidestar.org for anyone to see. And it lists things like your, your top salaries, for example, among other things. So with that spirit of authenticity comes, you know, a community that would be willing to share with you um, the positives and negatives of their own missions and, and help lead you along the way. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity to, you know, grow a program through their existing nonprofit until you get up on your own feet. Um, maybe they could be a fiscal sponsor for you, for example. But anyway, I think that's the most important piece is start by first finding out you know, what's already being done to solve a problem that you also wish to, um, you know, participate in terms of a solution. You know, then there's there's the, you know, there's just a list of things you need to do from, you know, as you mentioned, securing startup funding, I think what we should probably do is talk first about some of the more minutiae things that you need to do and then maybe spend a little bit more time since fundraising is my, you know, expertise, my my main knowledge base that we'll talk about that. But to start a nonprofit, simply put, you've got to put a board together. You need a nonprofit board. You have to have, uh, you know, at minimum, I believe, a, a president, a treasurer, and a secretary. Now, it'd be great if you had a vice president. It would be great if you had a chair of a fundraising committee, all those wonderful things eventually. But to file your C3, you really need to have that that board together. People have asked me before, well, do I need a lawyer to start a nonprofit? Well, you don't, you don't need one. Uh, there are companies that can help you fill out your C3 paperwork. Um, there are attorneys who can just review your documents and make sure they're ready to go and and you know, by having that security of having an attorney look over it, that might save you some problems down the road if this is a really a new space for you. But, you know, I've, I've met with people who've done all the paperwork on their own, and I've met people who've, you know, outsourced everything. Um, getting incorporated doesn't cost much. You know, obviously, you have to get incorporated first, and that's, you know, depending on how involved you get, that's zero dollars to two hundred and fifty dollars and then of course getting your C three is another, you know, let's say two fifty to six hundred dollars. Um you'll need to register your website, make sure no one else has it. Uh goodness, you know, we've certainly seen this before in, in all varying industries, but it would be awful for you to get your heart set on a name of an organization and, you know, anticipate the use of that website only to find that it's taken and it's taken by maybe an organization you, you don't want that same affiliation with. I've seen that over and over. And then, you know, um, once you're filed and ready to go and there are certainly steps along the way, you'll, again, I mentioned um, starting a nonprofit can be difficult. You know, you have to abide by bylaws. You have to be governed by this board of directors that you put together. Annually, you'll have to fill out a 990 tax form. You'll have to have board meetings with these board members, record all of the minutes, keep them, archive them, 
you have to pay taxes, of course, and then wherever you are registered, wherever you're incorporated, you have to register as a as a nonprofit in that state. And now um, there are stricter rules about where which state you raise money from. So, for example, if you are looking to operate in California and most of your donors are there, you're obviously registered in California. But let's say you identify and again engaging with a major supporter in Maryland, you'll need to actually register um, as a charitable organization in Maryland. And that's it's it's not the expense of it. It's the the time and reporting. There usually isn't a fee involved, an annual fee. Some states will charge a fee every few years, some charge a fee every year, but um, keeping track of all that, staying compliant, really, really important, particularly because you're such a, um, nonprofits are, are open, open space there, open book organizations. So that's super, super important. Well, let's say you've done everything right. Do you want me to give, first of all, I should pause for a second to see if you have any questions. You've well, done this I'm, before, I'm listening. So maybe you don't. But. No, I'm listening to your process because as I said, I have a, a C3, um, most of that sounds familiar. Uh, mine has been actually dormant for the last few years, but I've still had to file that 990. Um, but, you know, I think that that first, that whole uh, gathering everything that you've said, um, and that's basically all that you need to do just to get into the space of, of, of being a, um, a, a non-for-profit. That's right. That can be, you know... Uh, that can be daunting to 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 someone yeah. unless they're very driven. And so I think the key that, that I would advise people, I think it was helpful for me too, is that board of directors, because in doing so, mm-hmm. you, you make sure that you're not doing everything on your own. It's not just sitting all on you. That's right. And thank you for pausing on that. That is super, super, super important. Um, those, Board of directors, those humans are by design um, really supposed to help shepherd your organization along and and look out for you know potholes along the way. You know, so in other words, they're your kitchen cabinet. You know, they're your your people who say, you know, listen, it looks like we're not complying in Maryland. Before we get this donation from this major donor, we need to complete your compliance paperwork, for example. Um, you want someone with fundraising expertise on your board. You want someone with, listen, if you are going to get, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but if you want to get into crowdfunding, for example, you you should, and, and Zoom events, you should have an IT person on your board, someone with um, really good knowledge about technology. I would say have that anyway, because at the end of the day, I forget the statistic, but I've read it, so don't quote me on it, but I will say to you that I just read it recently that apparently online giving, which is what we were mostly doing in 2020, but you have been doing this all along. Many organizations raise a large chunk of their um, annual giving online, but it's eclipsed. It's like 10%. You know, Every year it increases, and, and I think last year was the first year that it, it really really went to a whole nother level. And so, in other words, more and more charities are looking at their strategies for fundraising and realizing them to be more so online than than ever before, historically. 
So, so have an IT person, have a marketing person. If you're online, you're branding and marketing and you're even speaking differently. It's a different audience. It's a different vibe than sitting down in front of a human and, and asking them to look at the same sunrise and sunset with you because it's going to help people. Um, there are opportunities, of course, with, with online and we can get into that too, but going back to the board piece, I always say to folks when they're starting out, this is the time for you to look at a working board. I know every nonprofit wants, you know, that board that, you know, they've all got deep pockets and, and, and huge networks and, you know, they will make a couple phone calls and all of your problems are solved. Great. Shoot for that board down the road. Right now, as a new nonprofit or as a startup, you need people who are going to dig a little bit deeper into their with their time to be able to do things like help you write grants or help you um, put together your first signature event or you know set up your online pers- online persona on social media. You need a working board. Now, I will say to you, one of the things that that you should always stress, regardless of where your board is in the life cycle of your organization, that giving has to be a part of it and not just giving your time. I think board gives, we call them give give and gets, right? Um, I think board members have to be the first uh, major donors to your organization. What major means to your organization from one organization to the other really varies. So, to one organization, a $100 donation makes you a major donor, and to another, you don't even get into that category until you've, you know, made a, written a check out for $50,000. So it really varies widely. But again, if I'm speaking to organizations, nonprofits like yours, small startup, I would say to you, if you could hire the perfect team, hire them. But you're hiring them differently. You're not paying them. You're you're giving them the opportunity to serve this mission, to really move forward and leave a legacy for themselves. Tell their children, their families, their neighbors, their colleagues that they are very proudly moving this mission forward. Now, now, I'm going to pause for a second there because that was a very interesting point that you made. Um, that the the people that you 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 hire for this board who are not being paid at that point have should be um the initial contributors to starting the funding that's right and that that is very important because i think as i can think of a few people in my head that went through this process they got people to help them but you know they went together as a collective group and they they, they started looking outward for their first um, fundraising, right, and I think that's I think that's a mistake, and I hate to say that because it sounds critical. Let's say it's constructive criticism, and here's why it's a mistake: because grants are a great way to fund programs and to fund general operations, and you know, startups can look to to grants as one of their fundraising buckets. Let's call it. Most grant funders will not give you their their grant dollars unless you have full board participation in fundraising. And by that, 
they need contributions. That's number one. But number two, I've always felt that how can you go out and sell anything? I don't care if it's a computer or, you know, a widget. You, How can you sell it if you're not a user, if you're not, you know, someone who knows what it feels like? Frankly, I always say, <clears throat> give a gulp gift if that's what you're going to ask someone else to give. And a gulp gift is a major gift, a gift where you write the check and you pause for a second because you think, oh boy, <laughs> what am I going to have to sacrifice giving this amount this year or this month by giving it to this organization? And the reason I think every board member should give a gulp gift is because your job as a board member is to go out and get more of them. And how can you do that if you don't know what it feels like? You don't know what it's like to ask for that money. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. I hope my audience, you know, really uh, takes the time to listen to this carefully. Cause like I said, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if everyone, you know, that's specifically on the, uh, 501c3 platform. I'm not sure all of them are necessarily looking to go that far, but some of them, um, are some of them looking to, to you know, form a five hundred one c three and to have it as a sustained um, organization, it's it's and 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 part of the conversation should be, and I know this because at a certain point I did find myself doing most or you know almost all the work, and um, it's 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 work. It's nothing easy, and so what strategies? What you know? So let's say. Yeah, let's let's create a hypothetical here. Be, you know, you have uh, okay. some people who are you know not not rich people or anything. Just a, a group of people who are passionate. They come together. They create their board. They each give a hundred dollars. It's five of them on the board. So that's five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. They, now they're starting. What strategies you know should they employ to to begin to get real donations and real funding? Great question. Um, and that's, you know, a great place to start with everyone giving the same amount. Eventually, as you grow as an organization, they will privately give, give their own amounts um, with, a, with a group goal. And how they get to that goal really depends upon them. Here's what I'll say about boards really quick before we get into the fundraising is when you have that type of board, that working board that we talked about, we're using the group work and hire and things like that. Think about the most productive person is the person who has a follow-up meeting, right? So if you have weekly meetings with your schools of of folks that think, you know, those weekly meetings mean more gets done. These people typically do it the day before it's actually due, and it's usually due on the day of your meeting. So if you start out as a nonprofit and think, I don't want to, I don't want to overburden my board or meet too often or, or, you know, and, and you pull back and say, we'll meet once a year, or we'll meet quarterly. Big mistake. When you start as a nonprofit and you put together your board, they've all laid down their own investments in the organization. You need to meet monthly. You need to meet monthly, and the committees even need to meet in between those meetings um, to get the work done. Otherwise, it just won't get done. And, and what happened to you will happen to anyone else listening to this. If they don't have those regular meetings with, 
you know, action items. Now, with the board, they all have other priorities, personal, you know, personal life, job, et cetera. So, so we can't, it isn't, even though we're using the word job, it can't be, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a week. But whatever it is, lay out the expectations in a, in a board description. Be really organized with your board so that they can be really organized with you. Give them a toolbox with key message statements and, you know, links to your important files and sample, you know, email templates that they can use to introduce your organization to their network. Check their LinkedIn. Make sure they're listing your organization. Once they've joined your board, once they've donated, make sure they're listing you, that they're very um, proud board members and are sharing with their network that they have this um, affiliation and responsibility to your mission. I think that's really, really important. So let's go to fundraising then. She said, kind of, where do we get started? Um, fundraising should be in, in multiple lanes at once, which um, can possibly feel overwhelming. Um, but if you look at look at it the following way, I think, I hope that you leave with a sense of, okay, we can do this. To me, fundraising, I always see a beltway, you know, like highway, where there's multiple lanes. You know, you have the fast lane that's restricted to passing and getting to where you need to go pretty quickly without a lot of obstacles. Uh, the slow lane is, I might turn, I'm not sure, here I am, you know, I can see all the lanes, I'm taking my time, and then you've got the middle lanes. And so I would kind of look at um, fundraising that way, you know, um, those crowdfunding days, those, you know, uh, quick hits, as I call them, Giving Tuesday, Do More 24, uh, any kind of one or one day or one week giving, that's that fast lane. That's where you're going for, you know, videos, crowdfunding. We need this urgently, and this is how much we need, and we've gotten a, a sponsor, someone on our board secured a sponsor to match dollar for dollar what we get. Um, that's 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 moving fast. Grants go over to the slow lane. Grants, as I mentioned earlier, is a really common way for startups to bring in significant funding for operating or capital or program development or things like that, and it can help with fueling it. But grants are, it's a marathon, right? So with grants, uh, there's a lot of research that you need to do to find out, you know, who is interested in the topic, who is interested in your mission, um, who would be willing to fund a new nonprofit. Some foundations will not fund an organization it's under, let's say, five years, three, probably more like, likely. Um, but once you find those matches, and that takes time, I would say you know, give yourself two weeks, really, to find, you know, two dozen matches for your organization and be diligent in your research. Then you write down all of the, the program officers at the foundation, the executive director, and you call them. You never apply. Applications take a very long time. You never apply without talking to someone first. Big mistake to do that. We get excited. I do too. Listen, I've been doing this for a long time. I get really excited when I do great research and I see that a foundation matches the um, vision and mission of an organization. And you think, gosh, if we could get all these grants or even half of them, we're fully funded. Um, the research is just step one. Step two 
is getting in touch with these foundations and asking them really direct questions about um, whether or not they would fund your organization based on what you tell them about your organization, what you intend to do, what you have done, um, how you'll track things, and how you need them. I always play it really straight with foundations. We're a small organization. We we have one employee. We need you. We really need you. Um, I like to ask them how they want to be communicated with. Do you want us to send you monthly bullets? I know that you ask for an annual report, Foundation ABC, but you know we're new. You're taking a chance on us. Do you want more communication, less, or exactly this one you report? And they'll let you know. So establishing those relationships early on. And the reason you kind of go into that lane first and get your board to help you with that research as well and volunteers. Ooh, let's talk volunteers at some point during this call. Just love them. Uh, they're great. And it's a wonderful asset to to be a C3 and have the opportunity to have people help you in this way. But going back to grants, you get your grant you know, system rolling because it's it's a long game. So let's say you've talked to the, you've researched, you've talked to the program officer, you've been inviting, invited to apply, you apply. It'll be 90 days before you see that money. So get your applications out, stick a pin in it, and move on to individuals and corporations. And I would say if early on with your board, uh, one of the things that you could do is, is you know, throw out sheets of paper or a large whiteboard or chalkboard or whatever works for your group, and ask yourself one question, who cares? And ask it almost like with an attitude, who cares about uh, restoring hope in Liberia? Who cares about a food pantry? Who cares about um, breast cancer? You know, and, and just rattle off, you know, all the individuals, foundations, and corporations that you as a, as a group of a collective can think of, and then start to ask everyone to put check marks or smiley faces or circles or stars or whatever it is where they may have a comp. You want to do it in this moment, right, while everyone's really excited, of, of connections they may have to those that you've listed on this chalkboard or whiteboard or, or, or paper. Um, and that becomes your first pipeline document. This becomes your, your, your target, if you will the individuals and corporations that you're going to reach out to. And then you need to roadmap. How are we going to get to them? So these meetings are a lot of fun, right? Because you're excited and you're identifying people who and businesses who care about the type of work that you do. Now, how do we get to them? And with individuals, right, it's typically a phone call, a coffee, a Zoom meeting. Um, it's a fairly straight line. You're, you're almost in the fast lane, almost. With corporations, you've got to be a lot more prepared than that. You've got to have um, slide decks. You've got to have, I always say to people, when you're starting out and, and someone gives you from Target, gives you a $10 gift card, you now have a corporate donor. Keep really, really good track of this as you go along. If, if fundraising in the corporate space is part of your plan, which it should be, keep track of every single corporate donation, no matter how small that you get, so that when you have your slide deck and you're going to Corporation ABC, you've got one page on that slide deck that's dedicated to, um, you just put a bunch of logos on a page. These are the businesses that so far 
have believed in our organization. And you put you put it out there. You know, that you showcase that you're yeah. Okay. So yep. you you so tell me about the volunteers. Okay. Um, so volunteers. Here's the really great thing. As a five oh one C three, you can enlist people to help you. And people want to. And and, and no matter how uh, remote you may feel your mission or physically located you are, there are people out there who will help. There's a great uh, resource I've been using for almost as long as I've been doing this called volunteermatch.org. Volunteermatch.org. It's free. Uh, and, and this resource allows you to say, um, hmm, you know, put a little paragraph about what you need. We talked earlier about great research. That's when I got excited and said, stick a pen in and I want to talk about volunteers because, you know, if you look at your organization's needs, right, everything from bookkeeping to uh, grant research to grant writing, you can post a volunteer job and solicit volunteers to help you in any point in the life cycle of that particular project or to take it on altogether. Now, um, before we get too willy-nilly sounding here, you know, in terms of um, formalities, you should also be ready for them before you go advertising to bring them on board. So, for example, um, that same whiteboarding meeting that you have with your your board, with the network, you know, who cares, um, and you start figuring out, well, how are we going to get there? Okay, we're going to need a slide deck. Okay, who here knows how to do slide decks? No one. Great. Now we know we need a volunteer to do a slide deck. So let's get out there and get some volunteers. Locally, every state, down to every county in every state, has typically a volunteer center or resource center, a place where you can go as a C3 and advertise for volunteers. Um, but if you want, you know, really to expand uh, your reach, volunteermatch.org is a really great one. Taproot Foundation is another where you can get pro bono support for websites, for human resource employee handbooks, and the like. Um, so volunteers are great. Um, you take good care of them because eventually people who give their time will also give their, their money. Um, I stopped myself earlier. Let me finish that thought that you, know, you want to be ready for them. So, for example, you let's say you've listed three jobs that you need done at your C3. You need your website, you need your social media management, and you need your grant research. Um, so you'll type up a one-page job description in terms of expectations, time commitment. Uh, you can even put in there preferred engagement. You know, we prefer to meet weekly, prefer to meet monthly about this particular project. Put it all out there so that this um, person knows who's going to give their time for free to you for this very important job so that they feel that you're prepared and you're a good steward of their of their time. But there's volunteers to do just about anything. You name it. Uh, it's just a wonderful way to look at this space. And I think a wonderful gift to the C3 space. I have seen, I worked with the, actually still work with a animal rescue. And they save, you know, hundreds of dogs and cats a month. It's all, it's all volunteers. They rescue them from all parts of 
rural communities and bring them to Washington, D.C. So someone's, there's a volunteer driver, there's a volunteer um, getting the pets off of the transport and calming them down and getting them ready for their volunteer foster families. You know, it's just, it's a it's an orchestra and it's a beautiful thing to watch. And so most nonprofits, um, you know, I would say aren't aware of the powerhouse of, of having this opportunity to work with or the powerhouse is not very work, but the it's just a gift. Again, I know I've said this before, but volunteer match, start there, be prepared for when the volunteers do come knocking and they will. Uh, be prepared for them so that they don't uh, leave you, that they stay with you for a long time because after a great project, let's say uh, they complete your website on Wix.com or Square or something, and the website's all done. Maybe you transition them into working on the slide deck or working on social media. Uh, they could eventually become board members as well. Yes, that that all sounds like really good. A really good um, information for the to build a solid foundation for um, an, a a five hundred one c three. Um, so, you know, to to sort of help those who want to get started, um, what would be your ultimate advice? Because I know this is a topic that we can, you know, there's so many aspects to it and there's there's so much more, um, including things that people encounter that sort of uh, threaten their motivation, et cetera. What would what would your be your best advice to someone who got woke up one morning and said, "I have to make a difference," and you know they've listened to this podcast and they've heard all these steps and and again you know there's no denying that it's work. What would be your words of motivation for them? Mm. Well, I'm a, definitely a can do person, so. Um I would say when you said that, I got little goosebumps because I thought, you know, that to me sounds like, and it sounds like your listeners, anyone, anyone who's thinking what you just said, I would say, do it, <laughs> just do it. We're only put on this earth for a certain amount of time. And if your heart, your soul tells you that there's this thing that you need to do, um, given everything we've already talked about, do it. Uh, there's a great book called The Soul's Code. It's one of my favorite reads, and you know it, it really speaks to you know when you're when you're destined, when your soul is, is signed up to do this thing to accomplish certain things in your lifetime, then then you need to do it. What I would say to you is, don't see three alone. <laughs> I should I should make t-shirts. Don't see three alone. With nonprofits, um, again, you have you know, talented people, board members, and, and volunteers, and people that want to help. People want to help. I gave you numbers earlier about uh, statistics about, you know, giving in the United States. It's, it's just we are a philanthropic country. We're, you know, arguably a philanthropic world. But we, here in this country, are very philanthropic with our time and our resources. So figure out what you need and and. And lay it out there. Don't 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 be quiet about it because there are people who want to help you. And so um, 
I would say just do it. And do you have do, any? Do, do your homework and just do it. Yep. Can yes. you think of any resources that you'd like to leave them with that, uh, you know, um, sort of to to follow up on this podcast? You know, do you have any websites that they can go visit or any that you can think oh, of? Oh, please do. Yeah, please do. I'm big on giving away. The reason I do these podcast interviews, this is my sort of full circle, right, is, is give it away. I can't take any of this knowledge or experience with me to the grave, so give it away. And so if you go to my website, Green Kite Fundraising, all spelled out, all one word, greenkitefundraising.com, I have a, a resources page. I have I have uh, webinars and, and handouts that you can download for free, and I'll keep adding to it as I move forward, you know, in the next year and, and, and onward. But I... Um, the information's out there. There are people who can help you. There are now a million Facebook groups. Okay, I'm exaggerating. Maybe not a million, but there are a number of Facebook groups where you can, there are even startup nonprofit Facebook groups that you can join and really bring together a community. Um, every state has, um, this is really important, every state has a, a, a nonprofit Alliance or resource, they're all called different things in different states. In Maryland, it's Maryland nonprofits. It's not really creative in that sense, but it gets right to the point, right? And and they're, these state programs are really designed to provide, I know you may have to pay a membership fee, but they're designed to be a resource to you as a nonprofit. Um, I would also say, you know, Align yourself with other. You're about to start a nonprofit. It's a big deal. It's a big life change. It's a big commitment. So align yourself with other executive directors and founders who, like me, would be willing to share with you all that they've encountered and learned and and and, and will continue to serve as your, you know, your confidants along the way. And and again, most nonprofits founders and advisors, you know, are altruistic. They want to help. They want to um, keep the community, the sector strong. And so just go in knowing it's not like business in that way. It's, I mean, certainly you want to be business-minded, but, um, but you know, there's no sort of guarding of knowledge. It's, it's knowledge share. Great, great, great. So I want to wrap this up by thanking you so much for you know, agreeing to be a guest on this podcast and for sharing, I think, uh, at least from my perspective, uh, critical information in helping someone who wants to go down this road to be motivated because I think that the biggest deterrent is the lack of knowledge and the lack of information and, you know, knowing where to start. So I'm hoping that, right. you know, enough people who have come, especially who've come out of this pandemic, and have recognized, you know, so much need in the world and want to be a part of the solution, um, we'll, we'll, we'll gain a lot from this conversation. So thank you so very much for agreeing to be a guest in 247 Real Talk Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, I tell you, I, I, it's been a pleasure to share this information. It's been a pleasure to respond to the questions that you've had, all very good questions. Thank you so much for your time. And again, if anyone wants to you know, engage or reach out to me and you can also find my contact information on greenkitefundraising.com. Thank you so much. Uh, please remain on the line. I'll be right back with you.
wonderful. Thank you. Good night. a very special thank you to Heidi Webb for agreeing to be a guest in the show and for sharing with us such insightful and such informative um, details that are needed for someone who out of this pandemic or who has had a lifelong dream of, of helping and starting an organization that makes a difference in this world uh, can now get up get going and do what we need to do to be a part of the solution also want to always thank my audience for your continued support and for making this podcast a success. Reminding you, you can listen to this episode and each and every episode on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to be a guest in the show, if you'd like to leave a message for my guests, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.